The Quint presents the big story for 5th October 2020. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast don't belong to Audible but are those of the Quint unless otherwise noted. Were the lapses by the Uttar Pradesh administration in handling of the alleged gang rape case of a Dalit teen in Hathras district was it a mere coincidence that the victim's body was cremated in haste with full police force allegedly without her family's consent as protests mount against the state police and the state government's delinquent attitude over the alleged rape and the subsequent death of the 19-year-old woman the investigation so far has raised several red flags Even as the hurried late night cremation of the Dalit victim triggered a big controversy the ADG of UP police Prashant Kumar has said that forensic examination shows that the woman was not raped in an official statement he said and I'm quoting his statement quote the samples did not have sperm and thus makes it clear that no rape or gang rape took place with the girl end quote and that it suggests quote some people twisted the matter to stir a caste based tension end quote but that doesn't answer all the questions Does no sperm rule out rape? The ADG statement based on the forensic report also seems to be in direct contrast to the victim's declaration that was recorded before the magistrate on 22nd September where she named all the four men and alleged rape by them. Should this not be treated as an important piece of evidence? For this podcast we spoke to Dr. N.C. Asthana, a retired IPS officer who's been the DGP of Kerala and a long-time ADG of the CRPF and the BSF. The Hathras gang rape case is steadfastly becoming an example of how to not handle a rape case. While the UP admin continues to downplay the incident, the Allahabad High Court had to step in. Anguished over the undignified way the woman's body was cremated on 30th September, the High Court took suomoto cognizance of the gang rape case and asked the additional Chief Secretary of Home, the DGP of Lucknow, the ADG of Law and Order, the District Magistrate and the SP of Hathras to appear before the court. But while accountability is being demanded as I've said ADG Prashant Kumar said that forensic examination of the Dalit woman who succumbed to injuries at Delhi Safdarjung Hospital after 2 weeks of holding on to life was not raped this since there was no presence of sperm from the vaginal swab and two questions arise here firstly does no sperm rule out rape secondly it has been pointed out that the medical examination procedure took place 8 days after the alleged rape and violation of the standard guidelines that says that a medical examination must be done at the earliest in cases of a sexual assault so could there be consequences of such a gap between the day of the offence and the medical examination dr nc asthana says that the laws are written in black and white that insertion of even an inanimate object to any extent into the genital mouth urethra or anus is considered rape if done without consent he says that the integrity of such medical examinations has been compromised uh, the adg is pathetically misinformed there have been a series of a catena of supreme court judgments on this since the british era since the british era the established position is that presence of either semen or spermatozoa 
in the vaginal swab is not at all necessary to constitute rape. He was technically and legally wrong on two counts. First, the legal count is that the definition of rape under Section 375 ITC has been amended by the Criminal Law Amendment Act 2013. This was following the Nirvaya case. It makes it absolutely clear, written in black and white, that even touching, I mean, the word used in the act is that insertion, comma, to any extent, comma, to any extent. This means even if there is 0.01 millimeter of insertion of your hmm. penis, your hand, your mouth, or even an inanimate object like, say, cigar or a stick, whatever, hmm. that constitutes rape. So, the question of uh, semen or spermatozoa does not even arise by way of definition. If you are, probably you might remember, mm. uh, because the case is still subjudiced, so I won't take his name. There used to be an editor of a uh, magazine right. who has been accused of rape by one of the former employees. Yeah. This happened in a running list. Mm. There was no penile penetration. This man applied his finger and mouth. Mm. He has been accused of rape. He is undergoing trial. Unfortunate that these guys are absolutely unaware of such things. The second point is that the so-called medical legal examination of the girl, I'm calling it so-called because it is farcical, was carried out after several days of the incident. Espermatozoa have got a limited life. They have got a limited life in exceptional cases. I mean, just for finding an exception in the books on forensic medicine, they may live for several days, but usually most of them lose their motility and undergo a process called phagocytosis mm. within a day. And there is a third possibility also. I mentioned it somewhere that because the girl is hospitalized, because the girl is poor, and for the most part she was unconscious also or hardly in her senses, it is also theoretically possible that they gave the vaginal douche, if you understand what is a douche. Right. They gave the vaginal douche to wash it. Mm. So nothing would be found subsequently. Mm. You see, one thing which we should understand very clearly is that this country has now reached a position where there is no sanctity attached to things like medical legal examination. The integrity of the doctors has been compromised to such a great extent that this has lost all sanctity. Mm. Probably you might remember that notorious 2009 Shopia mm. murder case right. of uh, Kashmir. Yeah. In this case, the dead bodies of two young women, uh, I mean, they were mutually sisters-in-law, were found in a river called Rembiara, where the water, I had measured it myself, I was posted there at that time as, as IG operation CRPS, I had measured it myself, the water was just about a foot deep. Yeah. These women were born and brought up there. There was no reason to believe that even if they are made to walk across that river in the dead of the night also, they would die by drowning in a foot of water. Yeah. Obviously, it was a massive farce. But the bigger farce was conducted. I can take the name in this case because the woman concerned was punished by the state government. There was a female gynecologist called Dr. Nigar Shaheen. Mm -hmm. Uh, this woman collected the vaginal swab from, supposedly collected the vaginal swab from these two dead bodies. And the vaginal swab went tested. Mm. It was found positive for the presence of espermatozoa. Fine. Mm. 
Subsequently, when CBI took over the case, this Dr. Nigar Shaheen admitted that she has used her own vaginal swab and passed it off as a vaginal swab. She is a married woman. So she used her own vaginal swab and submitted it as the vaginal swab to dead body. But that's not all. When it comes to discrepancies between accounts, there are quite a few. In the previous episode of The Big Story, we talked about the discrepancies in the medical report from AMU where she was initially admitted and what the Saftarjung autopsy shows. If you missed the episode, please check it out on our show notes. But last week, Hathras SP Vikrant Veer claimed that the medical reports did not confirm rape and there were no signs of abrasion on the victim's private parts and that the reports on a spine being broken were also false. But the autopsy report from Saftarjung Hospital states that the woman received an injury to the cervical spine which was produced by blunt trauma. The report also mentions rape and strangulation in her medical history. But even the ADG statements on no rape are incongruous. Mr. Kumar had claimed that the woman in her statement to the police quote-unquote did not mention rape but talked about beating only. However, firstly, there are disparities in the police's own account. Reports point out that another officer had earlier said that the section relating to rape was added to the FIR after the woman told that she's been sexually assaulted, while they were recording a statement under Section 164 of the CRPC. Secondly, on a declaration recorded before the magistrate on 22nd September, the woman named all four men, Sandeep Singh, Ramu Singh, Ravi Singh and Lavkush Singh, all of whom have been arrested and said that she was raped by them. So is this not an important piece of evidence? Should it not be looked at? Dr. Astana says that if this was recorded as a dying declaration, this accounts for a very strong piece of evidence. This will be treated. In fact, once again, there are at least six Supreme Court judgments. If she gave the statement to the magistrate, which was properly recorded in a question-answer form, actually for there is something called dying declaration, mm-hmm. and... Uh, If this was recorded in the form of a dying declaration, then this becomes a very strong piece of evidence. However, even if it was not recorded in the form of a dying declaration, maybe only some police officer recorded it, even then it carries great evidentiary value. Because the basic ethical principle which has been running since uh, the British era is that truth sits upon the lips of a dying man. I mean, there is no reason for a person who is about to die, who is uh, mortally sick, to speak a lie. So whether it was in the form of a proper time declaration, as the Indian Evidence Act says, or not, it carries great evidentiary value. And Hathras police themselves in their tweet had admitted that the girl mentioned rape. Okay. She initially, she did not speak of rape because she was dazed. Subsequently, she did speak. Fine. What's wrong in it? it it's very much admissible. And uh, it's a very strong piece of evidence. But what was also unusual was the Uttar Pradesh police's urgency to perform the last rites. Is it a mere coincidence that the body was cremated hurriedly? The rape victim's family members have alleged that they were not present at the time the pyre was lit. However, the police, government officials and right-wing affiliated handles on social media are refuting these claims, saying that the family was, quote-unquote, very much present during the cremation. The Quince reporter Asmita Nandi, who was on ground covering the incident, talks about what the family told her about how the cremation was conducted. Although I wasn't present at the spot when uh, the cremation happened, I spoke to uh, one of the victim's brothers who says that the UP police, when they brought the body home in an ambulance, uh, brought the body to the village in in an ambulance, they first 
took it directly to the cremation ground the 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 mothers and the and those uh, sisters in law everybody at home ran behind the ambulance to the cremation ground the family members all went to the police and appealed and pleaded to the police to bring the body home because they wanted to have a last glimpse of uh, the victim the police uh, apparently told them uh, that you know they wanted to cremate the body uh, right then and uh, it would uh, be better if they this is an allegation by the brother who said that the police apparently uh, threatened them that uh, the uh, further probing further investigation will be done by the police so it would be better for the family to coordinate with them uh, coming to the police claim about the family being present at the spot the brother clearly denies it he said that the family wasn't present uh, although the police did heed to the request to bring the ambulance back home for a bit but that the body did not enter the house because the police kept on insisting that the body be cremated that night itself but the family's uh, family says that they wanted to cremate their daughter uh, in uh, as per hindu rituals in the morning so they kept asking the police to you know uh, let them have a proper funeral have, have a proper uh, cremation the police cited law and order concerns now these law and order concerns how alleged were they did the police actually get a hint or prior information about a possible threat in the area and if even if they had got any hint why could the police not have provided the amount of security that they are providing in the village right now or you know there are, they have placed so many police officials in the village right now why could they not have prevented such a um, such an such, such a threat to law and order as and kept the, and taken the family in confidence because the brother clearly told me that you know they had assured the police that there won't be any sort of tension or anything from their side on that night well that's the family's version the police's version is that the cremation was done in haste due to quote unquote law and order apprehensions but even the allahabad high court has come down strongly and said that the cremation was a quote unquote disregard of protocol and high handedness by the police and dr asthana asks how is it that india's largest police force wasn't prepared to face the law and order disturbances if it were to arise it was not just coincidence it was obviously see police can have only one excuse just one possible excuse which the police and the administration can have is that probably they were apprehensive of protests by the people there had the body been cremated in her village as per customs but uh, this is essentially farcical because you are there to control such protests you are being paid by the public for this purpose only number 1 number 2 there is only one historical instance of the british doing it when they cremated the dead bodies of bhagat singh sukhdev and rajguru surreptitiously and uh, uh, even uh, 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 three of the ashes in satlaj uh, in hotani wala where the memorial stands now second we kill about two three terrorists every week in kashmir mm. now since the past 33 years it has been a tradition in kashmir that after the operations are over and the post mortems are done the dead bodies are handed over to the kith and kin of the people mm. and uh, very ceremoniously funerals are held at times uh, even thousands of people attend it it is very common for nearly 30 40000 people to attend it and at least in one case which i remember when i was there uh, it was a man called bambar khan in bambar khan's funeral about 2.5 lakh people collected hmm. so if take if the kashmir police can cope with this 
Why are they so scared? It's one of the largest police forces in the country. Why are they so scared? And now, in any case, the Allahabad High Court has taken cognizance of the matter. They have issued notices, which means that, prima facie, the High Court also understands that this was a terrible mistake. You have no right to do it. Which law says, I mean, uh, uh, the, the law books are before every, any, everybody can see it. Which law, which section of the law provides you with such powers that you can snatch away somebody's dead body and uh, dispose it? You see, I can understand it for a terrorist for whom nobody is coming to claim the dead body forward. Hmm. Or for whom possibly there could not be any relative. For example, if Kasab was executed, Nobody from Pakistan could be allowed to come to India to claim his dead body. Fine. So he was. Uh, it was within the powers of the state or the administration to dispose of the dead body. Fine. Here the question doesn't arise. It was blatantly wrong. Absolutely wrong. This is a developing story, but stay tuned to the Quinn for more updates. The editor for this podcast is Shelley Valia, and it's been produced by me, your host, Shorbri. If you like listening to the big story please log on to the Quinn's website and check out the podcast section for more.